0: America has a very distinct smell that nobody talks about. Can you describe it? It's detergent and carpeting. (laughs) That's what it is. All I think of in my childhood is carpet. Yeah, but colleges, airports, any public spaces smell like carpeting in America.
1: Yeah, what the hell's going on? (laughs) Welcome back to Working It Out. That is the voice of Veer Das, a comedian who I think is just fantastic. I, I was introduced to his work uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Zarna Garg, who sometimes tours with him and has Zarna's been on the podcast here, comedian who I, I love, a friend of mine. And she introduced me to Veer, and I dug into all his Netflix specials. He has a bunch of Netflix specials. He has a new Netflix special, called landing which is fantastic um, he he it's an interesting story very one of a kind he, he made news a couple years ago when he performed a monologue called two Indias um, and it was it was sort of controversial it sort of straddled the line between comedy and uh, poetry and speech and, and um, uh, I'm always fascinated by people who who sort of uh, go into First, of, first of all, like hard truths about things, which he does, and two, uh, who break break the form of stand up comedy and, and use it in unique ways, and two indias does that so well. We we dig into that today. We, by the way, thanks for all the positive feedback about the podcast. Uh, a lot of people have said nice things on on Apple Podcasts and uh, written little things about their favorite episodes people have been giving me uh you know writing comments on Instagram about the Mark Forrester episode and the Ryan Hamilton episode the a Garg episode this is another great episode um if you're able to to uh to write a little thing on Apple Podcasts we appreciate it. it goes a long way we here at working it out are thrilled when you express your uh your recommendation because because more people find the show and we we put our hearts and souls into the show if you happen to live near Mesa, Arizona, or really any part of Arizona, or really any part of anywhere near there, uh, I'll be at uh, I'll be at the Mesa Arts Center March 16th, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous theater. One of my favorite in the country. And I'll be at, uh, in Salt Lake City at Kingsbury Hall March 17th. Another one. Gorgeous, gorgeous theater. All of this, sign up for the mailing list on burbigs.com because I'm going to be announcing some uh, new material, working it out, dates coming up soon the mailing list it will be where you are the first to know about those shows because they're small and they will probably sell out so i will if you want to go to that and then sign up for the thing anyway um i think you're gonna love this veer das episode it's a very uh it's an interesting conversation about controversy and comedy and where's the line and, and and doing comedy internationally and sort of how how things uh change from city to city country to country and I just think you're going to love it. Enjoy my conversation with the great Veer Das. Ooh. Ooh, it. You're the greatest example who I know now personally <laughs> of someone who was actually canceled. Yeah. And Because the word canceled is thrown around a lot. yeah. So what happened to you is that people in India... Yeah saw a piece that you did called yeah. Two Indias. Yeah. And they went into a police station and filed a, a, a criminal complaint- A
0: complaint, yeah. Against you, yeah. <laughs> which is wild. And yeah. then you, did you go to court? No. Okay. Uh, and the police, uh, after a period of time, were just like, no, we're not going to, we have better things to do, sure. <laughs> you know, as, yeah. because we're the police. But um, I, I think, I put out this video and it was one of many YouTube videos in yeah. that vein that, that I've done before. And it's weird how you don't get to predict what creates a conversation ever as an no. artist. You, you, have, you have no idea. And so three days of big love, you know, it went well. Yeah. And then I think we all have the angry news channel in our in yeah. our country and we have one too. And they picked it up. Yeah. And they took a couple of bits of it and put it out. Let the angry people, angry people let the angry complaints, you know, and then... You have this journey where, if you you're ever at the center of like a, a headline storm yeah. or a news storm, you feel like you're the center of the universe. Yeah, you right. really do. Yeah. And it takes a little bit of character to buckle down and stay silent in that. When you all you want to do is explain, I never meant to hurt anyone, or I, uh, you know, uh, or to engage with people who to say I'm sorry you're hurt, or to say no, this is what I meant, and then you kind of discover that that's not your honor, you know, it's their honor to create, critique your work. And you kind of have to take your feedback, head down, mouth shut. And that's what it means to be an artist, right? right?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: You don't get to choose when content becomes controversy, right? But you can choose whether controversy becomes your content. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, okay, this has happened. And if I cannot pivot this towards something that bring, brings people joy, yeah. I failed, you know? And and I think that's really the job that we have. Yeah. Right? If you can't have a sense of humor about your stumbles, ain't nobody going to have a sense of humor about your stumbles. So I just had to work really hard for that pivot. I'm like, can I use this drama to give people joy? Then I remember just watching a Chris Rock uh, clip where I think he had just gone through the Oscars thing. And, oh, and he, yeah. you know, he put out a statement just saying, my statement is if you want to hear me talk about it, watch my comedy special. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's that's what I have to do now. I have to shut up. I have to keep my head down. And the first thing I have to do is write a joke about this. And it's a, it's a strange puzzle to solve because you're like, okay, how can I write the joke? Because the first time I go out on stage, they're going to be thinking it. Yeah. I will have to talk about it. Yeah. When do I talk about it? And can I write a joke that will make both sides laugh and not lionize me or victimize me? The first thing I wrote was, I think it was like March. And this happened in November. So I just went underground for two months. It was, uh, I was on the homepage of the BBC. There was a big headline that said, comedian polarizes the nation on the BBC. Do you know how badly you have to fuck up before the British say that you divided India?
1: It's an amazing joke.
0: Right? So now both people are laughing. Yeah. We've addressed the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and... (laughs) We've added a little bit of British hatred, which doesn't hurt. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. <laughs> they can gets take you. a punch. They can take a punch. And uh, I'm like, okay, maybe this, and, and, and I'm not a victim or a hero in this joke. You know, so maybe this is the tone that I get to set for the special. Yeah. So that's been uh, maybe the central theme, but also that if you can buckle down during the hatred, you'll find that love finds you. It's always around the corner. You know, yeah, wait, that, wait that, for it.
1: That was a, that was a really powerful thing that you said during the uh, during your recent special, which is on Netflix, which is that hatred is louder than love. Yeah, hate is yelled, oh, but love is felt. That's so. That's so true.
0: Isn't it though? Yeah. But love lasts longer, man. Love lasts longer. You know, you just have to. If you can find a way to, I'm not saying block out the hatred, hear it, and let it affect you because right. you're an artist, you're a human being. But trust that love is right around the corner. And I think a lot of artists will hear the hatred and harden and not make it around the corner, you know? Yeah, I think that that's that's one of the things that's so
1: confusing. I think in our our culture right now, there's a sense where people are like, you can't say anything anymore. I was talking to this guy in Nashville, Mm -hmm. Tennessee. I didn't know him, but... He goes, what do you do for a living? And I go, I'm a comedian. And he goes, you can't say anything anymore. And I go, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you can. You can. And then yeah. I, I started talking to him about Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, Lenny Bruce got arrested for uh, speaking negatively about the government and yeah. religion and all these body things. And he was arrested. And and I said to this guy, I go, uh, you know, if if comedians start getting arrested, I will be concerned. Very, yeah. very concerned. Yeah. But you're an actual case of you weren't arrested, but
0: you could have been. I could have been, yeah, but it's- Did, did you fear that you would have been? I come from possibly the best privilege that you can come from in Oh, is India, that right? And I have to be cognizant of that. You know, uh, I'm a Hindu heterosexual male in right. India. It's pretty much like straight white man in, in the US. You know, right. things are, and I'm, I've been in Bollywood. I have a cushion, I have a legal team, etc. There are certainly comedians who um, are less successful or or from different religions who have had much tougher legal situation and had to deal with it. I was never worried that I would be. Um, And the biggest worry was never that. The biggest worry was always, I think, I let people down. I think that, that impacted me far more than anything else. It's not been... I've been in the film industry and, you know, all of that stuff for 15 years. So I've had a controversy or two. Yeah. You know, so I do know how to roll with with that part of it. But the biggest thing was, uh, uh, man, I think I let people down. Yeah. And I'd always prided myself on being the guy where, irrespective of how you felt like thing uh, about ideology, I would make you feel welcome enough where we would disagree about it. But laugh about it under the same roof, and I'm like, "Did I drop the ball?" And so, you know, like that, you
1: shamed the country.
0: No, I, I think that, to me, any feedback is good feedback, right? right? As, as, long as it doesn't um, uh, turn into hatred or threats, right? And, and to me, I don't think anybody who watches that video will doubt my love for my country. No, you know, it's. But
1: th- what is it? What was the fear? What the, was the actual fear?
0: There was no fear. Uh, okay. it, it was just a, a sense of guilt. You know, you feel guilty that some you, you maybe hurt somebody's feelings or something like that. And yeah, you want to make sure that your family is okay. So right. you're like, okay, you guys didn't sign up for this crazy journey. So are you guys all right. So I was just focusing on that. And I think you're worried about like, I hope they'll be open to my next joke. Right.
1: When, when you did, you have like an odd a journey to becoming a stand-up comedy star. Yeah. Because it seems like you started out as a comic, yeah. then pivoted into acting yeah. in Bollywood yeah. and blew up in that space and then sort of doubled down on stand-up. And that's when
0: you sort of had more stardom in that That space. is a very flattering way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. Okay. Uh, okay. Got into stand-up, snuck into Bollywood, uh, was a part of two really big movies. Right. So like oh, the, right? The, the, the second lead in, in like a really big, in two really big movies, Yeah, started getting leads, did two or three really good movies and then did like seven gigantic piles of shit. Uh, oh, wow. And then, uh, I did one really big one that crashed and burned and I think it was the most amount of money that had ever been bet on. Oh my God. Really? For a Friday. Wow. Right. So, and I, I couldn't make the, the release. Right. So I, I I didn't bring in the people. And the phone kind of went cold for a while, Yeah, you know? And at that point, there was an American agency in town and they were like, we saw you on YouTube, let us sign you, come to LA, take y- meetings. Yeah. And I was like, all mm-hmm. right. Uh, and I ended up doing a spot at the Laugh Factory in the improv. Yeah. This is 2015-ish. Yeah. I fell in love, man. Oh, no I, kidding. I had like a visceral moment. I think I followed like Whitney or somebody yeah. on stage. I killed. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, this feels better than anything I've done in the last five years. It was undeniable. And so I spent a year kind of traveling around America just to fall in love with stand-up again.
1: You That's know? so fascinating. So so you did stand-up here. It went well. And you were like, oh, this is what I should be doing. And, I mean, you had grown up in India. Yeah. You'd
0: moved... Here when you were like high school, college age, I came here for college. I went to Galesburg, Illinois, yeah, um, and then went back immediately once my visa expired. But
1: I, I'm obsessed with this idea, and, and and I, you know, this year I went to London and and Paris and Iceland, and I hope to do more in 2023 where I inter- perform internationally. But I love the idea that a joke can unite human beings. Of course, just it can. people in yeah. general. Yeah. And it's, and it's it really impressive to me when I watch your specials, that they're so funny, and the, and this is not not you know, you, you weren't born into American culture, you moved here, and so mm-hmm. your stuff plays here and plays there. Does it play better in one or the other?
0: I don't think it uh, it matters anymore no? in a weird way. And I think that's the beauty of like the Netflixes and the YouTubes, right? Like I, I think what also helped is like there's a local palatable version of Indian culture wherever you go in the world. And now that's done to death. You know, those five yes. Indian stories that you guys have heard... You know, brown boy, will he be able to be with the white girl because the parents are unhappy? Right. Uh, they came over with one suitcase in dreams. Sure. Uh, you know, I think you've seen every version right. of those stories. We've seen the archetypes. You've seen the archetypes and you're like, now we need new Indian stories and we need authentic Indian stories that represent the billion and the modern India. And so now when when I perform for Americans, it's kind of more important to be authentically Indian. Yeah. Than it was before.
1: Yeah, you say that in your special, you were like, like you Americans think that, because you filmed it in New York, you yeah. Americans think that we talk like this, but actually we're more like I'm speaking right now.
0: Yeah, Mumbai is one of the, uh, the Indians here are far more conservative. The than
1: Indian, in, right, the Indians who moved to America are more conservative than actually the, than the Indians in Mumbai.
0: Yeah, for wow. sure. Mumbai is a party city. The kids <laughs> in Mumbai are uh, getting drunk, doing drugs, having fun. You know, looking huh. up, that's Mumbai, right? Oh,
1: that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: But but you don't see that, right? It's never represented in culture over here or in movies over here. We're always sort of this well, model minority. It's monsoon wedding. It's monsoon wedding or Oh, really hardworking guy. Right, right, uh, right. We're given a lot of credit for all being really hardworking. Right. No, we're not that fucking hardworking. Right. <laughs> you know. Or we're on a boat <laughs> with the tiger. Oh, we're on a boat for with a the tiger. For a long t- time. <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> and it's not a tiger again. <laughs> like, what a fucking letdown. <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole movie, this tiger wasn't there? What?
1: Spoiler alert <laughs> on Life of Pi. <laughs> It's funny cuz Mark Forrester was on the podcast the other day and he he said this thing that I think is is great which is which is as as artists we always have to just des- destroy our our own egos when, yeah. and when we start again on the next project.
0: Yeah, I I go to the comedy cellar and I I see comics who most people do not know sure. who, are, who are 25 years in I'm 16 years in, right? Yeah. And they're assassins and you're terrified yeah. to follow them. And I think that's a healthy goddamn feeling. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, yeah. and also I like following them. And I and I like so, being and I like being somebody who's hard to follow too. You I know? agree. I'm with you. I love both
1: of us. You yeah, you and I were talking backstage the other day about how uh, it's fun to be at the comedy cellar because you feel like you're playing playing tennis with the best tennis players in the world. And you're that's the only better. way you get better.
0: Yeah. 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 And I, there's no sympathy. There's no... No. And there's no backbatting either, you know? No. No, and there's oddly no real uh,
1: over-recognition for being famous. Like, I I followed Ray Romano and Chris Rock and all kinds of people there. And, you know, the audience goes crazy for two or three minutes, and then they're
0: like, all right, what do you got? Yeah. Like, we've seen a lot of good people tonight what do you have? Yeah, but some people are coasting on that, not just on pop-ins, but on full runs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, for sure. Like I've seen people milk the fame thing for six minutes, seven yeah. minutes, eight minutes, but you can't fool an audience. Why do you, because you, you have so many specials. I mean, I want to say you have four or five This is like specials. my fourth, yeah. This is your fourth. Yeah. Why do you? Why do you want to create more? Why? I kind of have a different view on specials that, I think a comedy special is a piece of cinema. For the first time in a comic's life, your box is next to Scorsese's box (laughs) on on Netflix. And you get to compete for people's attention. And I think that stand-up gives us a better shot at dynamics than an average film does. So many things have to come together in a film for it to have good dynamics. Yeah. In stand-up, it's such an easy fix. So you have to make sure that it's filmic and that it tells a story yeah. and that it has a structure and that there's surprises and yeah. silliness and discomfort. And yours,
1: I'm not going to give away any of your surprises, but yours has surprises. It, your it your and a-
0: special has really
1: nice <laughs> twists in it. Oh, this is, this is something I think about all the time, which is, I think comedy is in a completely unique moment in time in the sense that there are a group of people who are game for sort of anything goes in comedy. Sure, You can say the most, uh, you know, reductive thing, doesn't matter. Yeah, And there's a group of people who go, I don't like generalizations. I don't like joking about stereotypes. I don't like this. All those are valid. I say that and thank God for jokes. All of those feelings are valid. You're allowed to feel that way. It's fine. It's all fine. You have comedic generalizations yeah. about Indian people. They're very funny yeah. and make me laugh. Yeah. Like, for example, you go, like, you go, there's part of me that, you know, some people think I'm too Indian. Some people think I'm yeah. too American. Yeah. And then you go, but, you know, I'd prefer an Indian doctor. Yeah. You know, I'm laughing and I'm going, well, it is a generalization. Yeah. Yeah, where do you where do you stand on in your own comedy generalizations mm-hmm. versus stereotypes?
0: I think if you're going to do a generalization, you have to follow it up with some sort of agreeable authenticity. <laughs> Otherwise, you're screwed. You know what do you mean by that? So okay, if you look at that joke specifically, right? It is, um, I um, I would never use a white doctor. I want an Indian doctor. Yeah. Now that's a generalization, purely of course, right? I would let an Indian engineer treat me before I let a white doctor treat me. Yes, yes. Getting closer, getting warmer. I don't want curative medicine. I want cheap, efficient solutions now. Oh. All right. Far more specific in terms of... So at least I'm doing a little bit of homework coming from sort of a general space. Right. And then get into like a very specific engineer joke about a belt that was invented, that an engineer invented in India. Right. So in India, somebody invented a belt that burps you every five minutes. And so that's how I work. It does a, what? It burps you every five minutes. Really? Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> where the joke winds up, right? So <laughs> I did not follow that part of it. Yeah. So th- I'm, I'm trying to get really specific with that.
1: Right, If you, in other words, if you had just gone with the generalization
0: in and then some ways, it there, yeah, yeah, in no. some ways it's a little easy. Yeah, but then you've got to kind of zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So you show you've done the work, right? Because you're not going to come to America and not have Americans be like, oh, there's a lot of Indian doctors. It's something we know.
1: Right. You, know, you just, Well, it's like, what, yeah, exactly. Where's the turn? Yeah. Where's the turn? How are you going to surprise me? Yeah. Because anybody can make a generalization. Anybody can say a stereotype. It's, yeah. the, easy, it's the easiest thing you could do. Yeah. But it's like, I'm going to use that and then we're going to go whoosh, somewhere else.
0: And, and I also, yeah, I, I like subverting a stereotype. I love doing that too. So I do like talking about a stereotype and then switching it a little bit. You know, like th- there's a, a a gun control bit in the special where where I say, you know, now most people who watch my stand up and and assume I have a political ideology that is slightly more left or liberal would be like, this guy is against guns. Yeah. And I am vehemently against guns, right? But, so I talk about America, I talk about gun control, and I'd be like, I worry about being shot, but I want to be friends with one guy <laughs> who has a gun. Right, <laughs> right. So... And, and that's a very specifically Indian thing. So I like taking that American stereotype, for instance, yes. and subverting it a little bit,
1: you know? And that also speaks to, when, when you want to get into the weeds on generalizations, sometimes with comedy, with yeah. jokes, by going personal, you're making an audience realize a generalization that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, so in other words, like you make that joke about you, you'd like to have one friend who has a gun. Yeah. And it's like people, a bunch
0: of people are laughing. Well- Maybe some other people think that, <laughs> yeah, but but I think I'm also kind of figuring it out because there's also rules that are set for stand up in America that don't apply anywhere else in the world, oh, I know, and if you if you start thinking of this as a global game, it's a weird one like i'm I'm still early on that journey, like I haven't figured it out yet i'm I'm, I'm hoping to, I feel like I'm around the corner, well but- like
1: one of those rules would be I. Could- <laughs> you could do an impression of my voice, but I could not <laughs> do an impression do... <laughs> of
0: your <their> voice.
1: <laughs> and that has a history. Yeah, A lot of that stuff has history. You know, like for for example, the Apu movie, you know, uh, the problem with Apu. I saw it, about, but about I, I about can the tell Simpsons. you
0: that a, that a billion people don't feel the way about that movie that a few million people of the Indian diaspora here feel. How do you feel about it? Uh, about the Apu yeah. accent? Yeah. I couldn't care less. Couldn't care less, interesting. I know, I know more people who sound like Apu than I do... Uh, you know, I hear an Indian boy from here speak in an American accent yeah. about a poo. His accent's weirder to me than a poo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. to me that's that's a, a strange or unfamiliar sounding accent. Now if you want to go deep into the dynamics of it, he's a, I I think Akash had this in his special or something, but you know, he's an immigrant guy, runs a business, he's successful. Yeah. Should it have been have been voiced by Hank Azaria? Maybe not. Right. But why do you kill a character? It was a great story. It's <laughs> really funny because, you know, Zarna,
1: we're mutual, mutually yeah. friends with Zarna Garg and I love Zarna. And a lot of times she'll say something to me and I'll relay it to somebody else. Yeah, I don't do her voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I tell other stories about my other friends, I do do their voice.
0: You should do her voice. What will happen? What do you think will happen?
1: I don't know. I
0: don't know. I don't know what the,
1: I, 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 feel like, I feel like a lot of people are like me where we're not sure what the etiquette is.
0: But do you think it would matter that you did the voice or do you think it would matter more what you said in the voice? Because nine out of 10 people who would do the voice are saying, like you said, extremely reductive things. Oh yeah, of course. Right? But if you did the voice and it was a surprise or it was uh, astute, yeah. would it matter? I, I don't think it would. No, no, you're probably right, and certainly Zarna wouldn't care. I
1: mean, Zarna, Zarna wouldn't care. Zarna Most is,
0: Indians wouldn't care. That's interesting. Yeah. So who's left? Five college kids in <laughs> <and> two publications. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> who have, who have huge know? social media followings? <laughs> cool.
1: Well, yeah, that was that was one of the things that was interesting too about the you you acknowledge sort of the punching down concept, and you're I like did. that is that is really just a Western comedy concept.
0: I, I think when you Again, get into the wheels with privilege. There are barometers to measure privilege that is consistent, and these barometers have been set by media and and discourse. And I don't think of privilege in that manner. I think of privilege as something far more volatile that yeah. changes on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, and that could be here today and gone tomorrow. And uh, it's far more intersectional, I think, than the West views privilege. If what, you think what do you mean by that? Because you say that in the special, like in other words. One day you could be rich, the other day, next day you could be poor kind of thing? Is that what you mean? Yeah, or it could be taken away from you for uh, not a cancellation or not a mess up. Right,
1: or you could be hit by a bus and you could be hospitalized and and you can walk the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I think at some level, it is the knowledge of a punch-up or a punch-down serves a comedian better. But the call-out of a punch-up or a punch-down, I feel like nine times out of ten, makes the audience member feel better about themselves. You know, the joke in the right. in the special is we're all just calling out our own privilege before other people call out our privilege yes. so that we can, we can feel better about enjoying our privilege, right? Yes. And, and so I, I do think it's, it's, it's exercising so that demon, you know? Uh, uh, that is such a beautifully economic <laughs> joke.
1: That is a, a, a beautiful, several words explaining a concept. Yeah,
0: so I do think that's what it is.
1: Well, Jimmy Carr has this really interesting thing where he talks about when you uh, call out someone yeah. for punching down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're actually making a judgment
0: on what is down. Yeah, who who died and made you the decider yeah. of what's up and down? Yeah, you know. I mean, he's interesting because he's also. I don't think he's uncancelable, but he has a certain amount of escape velocity. He's uncancelable, right? But but with intelligence retained. Oh, I so smart which is, a, I haven't seen that combination very often. I, sometimes I think most people who are uncancelable really go at, at at unintelligent things. And I think Jimmy Carr kind of retains that intelligence. So oh, He's very thoughtful. Because I
1: think he's a deeply feeling person. And I think he doesn't want to hurt people, but he yeah.
0: understands the healing power of jokes yeah. when they work well. I also think that, how do you think of a comedy show? Do you think of it as your hour with them or their hour with you? It's for them. Exactly. Yeah, that's right? how I think about it. But I think it's a, an, an easy comedian temptation to think of it as your hour with them. Yeah. You know, because I've worked really hard to get my hour with them. It's not about them. No. They got babysitters, they saved yeah. for weeks. They uh, They put a lot on the table to come and see you, you know. And if you think of it in that sense, when that flip happens... I think your entire comedic perspective changes. This is a really important point, and I think you and I
1: have this in common. I had a, I had a flip. I didn't. I think in my twenties, yeah. I was more immature, and I thought it was a, about me. Mm-hmm. And then in my thirties, when I started doing these solo shows, "Sleepwalk with Me" and my girlfriend's boyfriend, I started to see that it would affect the audience yeah. in this way. I go, "Oh, oh God, it's about them.
0: That's who it's about." Did you have a, a flip? I it's two college kids in my front row. Yeah. And it, this is a true story. I, my front row is expensive. It's, it's about 5,000 rupees. Wow. And my last row is 500 what, rupees. What's 5,000
1: rupees, uh, roughly?
0: I'm bad at math. A couple hundred bucks. Divide by 80, yeah. So, you know, but notionally, it's a lot more. Okay. You know, if, if you yeah. think about what that means. As 80 local bucks, car- yeah. 100 bucks, yeah. It's, it's expensive. Probably notionally feels like about two 300 bucks. Okay, oh, right? wow. Okay. Um, and these two kids were there, right, in the front row. And I try and keep my last row 500 bucks, which is like 10 bucks or whatever. Okay. So, that, so that I get a range of people in a, in a large room. And I was being an asshole. And I, and I was like, hey, two kids in the front row. I guess dad bought the tickets, right? Or mom bought the tickets. What industrialist is your dad? Or is your dad a VIP, et cetera, et cetera? And they're like, no, we save for this ticket. Oh. And I'm like, really, for how long? And then one kid goes, we save for four months. We're in college, and one kid goes, "We skipped lunch."
1: Oh my gosh!
0: You know, and I'm like, "What the What the hell does that mean?" And they're like, "Lunch in the canteen of, of the college is between eighty and a hundred rupees. We skipped lunch wow. to come and see you." And I'm like, "I will never be less than two hundred percent ever again for the audience. Yeah. I will send them home flying on a goddamn cloud." Yeah. You know, that is my job. Yeah, They skip lunch, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a privilege to be able to
1: perform in front of a group of people. And, and they took a lot to be there. I mean, I always tell the story about the old man in the pool where someone came up to me in Los Angeles after the show. And she said, it was watching the show. I felt like I was with my dad, who's no longer with yeah. us. And it's like, well, if you have the opportunity to connect with people and give people that like you should really strongly consider doing that as yeah. opposed
0: to making it about yourself and or even letting the noise dilute your performance by even 10 percent yeah i do believe that if you and i'll go down a comments rabbit hole i'll go down a you know sure. a, a hate you know scroll or whatever yeah. etc because comedians tend to fixate but then i'll remember that if I'm at 90% and not at 100% for those two kids because of some random person who's never going to come and see me, yeah. I'm unprofessional.
1: Working It Out is supported by Masterclass. We are thrilled to be supported by Masterclass. It's a streaming platform that makes it possible for anyone to watch or listen to hundreds of video lessons taught by more than 150 of the world's best. So for example, working without listeners might be interested in filmmakers or writers like David Sedaris, Issa Rae, Martin Scorsese, Warner Herzog, Malcolm Gladwell, and more. Margaret Atwood teaches creative writing. Amy Tan teaches fiction, memory, and imagination. That sounds fantastic. Whether you're watching Masterclass on TV, listening in audio mode, or in the app, or on their site, the quality speaks for itself. This holiday season, give one annual membership and get one free at masterclass.com slash Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash Masterclass.com slash Offer terms apply. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Liquid IV. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor. You don't need to be an athlete to need extra hydration through your day. Sometimes you forget to drink water. So it's, it's perfect for that. It's great for me because I, I really have to stay hydrated. And it's great for long travel days, which is so much of my, uh, my touring life. There's a very popular product among the staff of Working It Out. My brother Joe said, it's a great alternative to coffee in the afternoon when I want to pick me up. It's sweet, but it's only got 45 calories. It's a great thing to have in the office. Grab your liquid IV hydration multiplier, sugar-free, in bulk, nationwide at Costco. Or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WORKING for working it out. WORKING is the word. W-O-R-K-I-N-G at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop. Better hydration today using promo code WORKING. This is the thing we do mm-hmm. called the slow round. Okay. Do you uh, remember an inauthentic version of yourself? Is my Bollywood career, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too, of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I. Yeah, I remember um, arriving at an event and caring who arrived first. Oh. I was, uh, you know, four men were in this sort of event and I just remember going, tell me when that guy has arrived and and I will go after. And then you kind of catch yourself and you're like, why does it make a goddamn difference when, who arrives? What matters is how you make them feel, right? When you're there. But I remember caring about that at some point when I was like 28 or 29. So yeah. That's so great. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no i love i think it's so great that you're admitting that because i think that so often in comedy i think the, the great thing is when people when a comedian
0: can admit that they were wrong about something oh, yeah yeah that that's a great one that's 90 percent of my content Just Admitting <laughs> that, <laughs> that i was wrong about stuff
1: what is your role in your family that you grew up in like what 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 was your what was the dynamic of your of your folks and you
0: I'm the get it done guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody else gets that. to fall apart. I get it done. That's interesting. So when uh, when the dog dies, you can all go into your room and cry. I'll uh, I'll bury the dog. You know. Wow. And when the you know when the grandparents go and all of that stuff, I'll get the pundit. I'll organize the the last rites, etc. I'm the. I, I may not. Be as comforting or as expressive as the rest of the family, but you'll call me and I'll get it done. Can you describe a a school lunch from growing up? Yeah. Uh, I remember when it was your birthday in school, you got this dirty pineapple pastry. Really? Yeah. It's terrible. (laughs) And and this is like in an old British military academy. So you're up in the north, you know, everything's frozen. So it's hard as hell on the inside. Yeah. And then this soft pineapple, uh, vanilla cream that leaves a layer on your tongue after you're done eating it. And a pineapple, which is synthetic pineapple. It isn't really pineapple. Oh, really? You know, like those cherries, yeah, yeah, those sure. fake cherries that you get. Sure. So I remember that. Oh, and wow. I remember no matter whose birthday it was, like fucking eight of us cutting little slivers of that and giving it out.
1: Do you have,
0: it's so funny because when
1: Hasan Minaj was on the show. Mm-hmm. He was saying he still has resentment towards British government, and he didn't even grow up in India. <laughs> but that his parents don't—that yeah. his ba- his parents sort of like honor the crown or whatever. Oh, I don't really? Even,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and he's always like, why,
1: why? You know, like, you, I, how,
0: what's your relationship with it? I want more discourse about it. Oh, I, I, I could care less about the British royal family, etc., yeah. etc. But. I feel like India footed the bill for a large industrial revolution and for a lot of that to happen and you need to talk about it. I I want to see it in more books. I want to see it in more movies. I think that there's a a healthy discourse around, not reparations, but slavery in America's past. There's a healthy conversation around it. There's not enough conversation around what happened to India. That's how I feel.
1: I, I agree with that. Yeah. Do you remember a strange neighbor or like family friend growing up?
0: Uh, yeah, I remember my my grandparents were both Buddhist leaders. Okay. And so they were part of this chanting group called Soka Gakkai. And what that meant was my house was always full of 20 or 30 people that were waiting to see my grandparents. Oh, wow. And for their counsel, right? So I'm just this kid. Like I, I got, uh, I left boarding school when I was 13, and I came to live with my grandparents. Oh. and my parents didn't come back from Africa till I was like 17. So I had four years of puberty really living with two very old people who were wow. Buddhist leaders. So there were things you could do in the house. There were things you couldn't do in the house. Yeah, it was always very quiet. There was always chanting happening. Yeah, the whole house smelled of incense. Yeah. You know, uh, and old carpeting. And I just remember these a lot of people that came into that house really needed to be in that house. You know what I mean? They needed help. They needed help. And so I just remember this one lady who I saw over the course of two or three years looking younger every time I met her. Fascinating. And then at some point, my my grandfather's name is Baba. And I looked at Baba and I'm like, where's that lady? And he's like, uh, she's never coming back. And I'm like, why? And he's like, she's happy. Oh, wow. So I'm like, that's the journey with my grandparents, right? That they make you younger and younger and younger. And uh, hopefully you never need to see them again. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like your your inclination in comedy is healing the way that your grandparents were healing people?
0: I haven't thought about it that much. and And, and I wouldn't put that. Like, that feels like really building myself up. And, and I would... Just let me do it.
1: <laughs> That's what and, I'm here for.
0: But I do want a sense of elation when you leave. Yeah. Like, I want two things, all right? One, there's a moment in a comedy show or in a musical concert, et cetera, where the artist on stage and the audience both kind of go, <sighs> you know, and it's the sort of a... I'm so fucking glad we did this. Yeah. You know? And when it's Love magic, that. it happens at the same time. Yeah. You know, the, the performer feels it at exactly the same time. Like, it's that one big applause break from, from something so unexpected. Yeah. That was unorchestrated. Yeah. And it's completely spontaneous. And you both kind of go, oh, this is it's good to be here right now. Yeah. Isn't it in this moment? I want to orchestrate that once a show and... When you walk from my show to your car, I want you to be flying. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I want. When you so you were away from your parents from thirteen to seventeen, from seven to 17. 7 to seventeen. I went to boarding school when I was seven and a half years old, and parents were in Africa and I was in India.
1: And why did they go to Africa?
0: My dad was making tomato pulp and pre-cut potatoes. As uh, as sexy as that
1: <laughs> as that wow. sounds, yeah. And
0: then you went to boarding school and then lived with your grandparents. Do you think all that's tied up in why you're a comedian? Well, my, grand, my granddad has a really interesting story. He started out as a policeman. Yeah. And then became a government servant. And then was the Indian ambassador to Bhutan. Then took over Air India, which is India's national airline. Then received something called the Padma Shri, which is like our knighthood. It's the highest civilian honor you can wow. get. And I tell dick jokes, but, you know, (laughs) and then became this Buddhist leader. And so I grew up in a house with this man. And we have a very international family that are kind of foreign service people, etc. And and so when I was between 17 and 18, 16 to 18, I would go to the airport three times a week to pick up somebody and drop somebody. Oh, wow. Because my grandparents' house was this open house of people who needed help flying in or cousins and this and that. So I I spent three nights a week going to the airport and here were all these people who looked different and they smelled different and they had different clothes and they had different... They looked like they had seen the world. That's the largest influence of my life is just being at the airport going like, someday I need to be the guy going to the airport, you know, instead of the guy waiting for people at the airport. That's interesting. Like, What do you mean by the person going to the airport? I want to be the guy arriving or leaving rather than the guy waiting for them. Like I remember... You know, New Delhi in the summer, picking up my cousins who had just flown in from America via Frankfurt, Germany. And they had jackets on. You know, and these jackets had some sort of a German logo on them. And because they hadn't adjusted and it was still cold on the flight or they had a sweater on. And then they would come in and kind of take that sweater off. And they would talk about how Delhi smelled different. But what I could never tell them was like they smell different to Delhi. You know, like right, their, to, to you. To me, like yeah. their, their luggage and their jacket. Yeah. You could smell it in the car. And yeah. I'm like, that's what Germany smells like, I guess. Wow. And I want to go. Like America has a very distinct smell that nobody talks about. Can you describe it? It's detergent and carpeting. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> We're over over chlorinated. The whole country smells of detergent and carpeting. Yeah,
1: no, it's true. I think that's right. Detergent and and carpeting. Carpeting, oh my gosh, carpeting is the hugest smell in my childhood. Yeah. All I
0: think of in my childhood is carpet. Yeah, but colleges, airports, any public spaces smell like carpeting in America.
1: Yeah. What the hell's going on? That's great. Um, what, has anyone,
0: What's the best piece of advice someone's given you in your life that you used? Um, tangibly, it's something that I do uh, with the people who manage me. Like I got a really good piece of showbiz advice. Would that count? Yeah. Um, they're like, all the people you work with, um, sit them down once a year at the top of the year and just yeah. be like, all right, we got to do three things we deserve and one thing we don't deserve this oh. year. And then just leave them alone for a week. <laughs> and let okay. them think about it. Okay. And then let them come back and tell you what they think you deserve and what they think you don't deserve. Okay. And it's a really good eye-opener into how they feel about what you're doing. Wow.
1: I'm going to break this apart because it's a really interesting idea to, to me. So, So in other words, like, your coworkers, the people who are part of your team of yeah. creating whatever you're doing. In your case, your manager. Like, what are you're saying to them? Tell me what you think we three, deserve to do together. We deserve yeah. to do this year. Yeah, and then one thing that maybe is like outrageous, like a little bit outside of what- our league. Maybe when they yeah. yeah. Like
0: so, so if it was New York, for instance, it's like okay. Do we deserve uh, Radio City, Radio Music, City Hall? Music Hall? Yeah. Do we not deserve Madison Square Garden? Yeah. yeah. You know, but if somebody went to you and they were like, we think you deserve the beacon, but you, do, you don't deserve Radio City Music Hall yet, and you think you're there, you just know how forward they're thinking. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's really interesting. But do you, And do you give no hints? I give no hints, but I make it a we thing. Right. You know, it's never a me thing. Like, I'll never be like, you tell me what I deserve. It's, what do you think we deserve to do together? Would Would you like to make a TV show together? Would you like to go to Japan this year? I've never toured Japan. Yeah. Think about it. Because then, why can't I fulfill some dream of theirs jointly with them,
1: you know? What's the best piece of relationship advice anyone's ever given you that
0: you used? Um... If you make her laugh the fight's over.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Well
0: done. That's that's I
1: think, it. I think that's that's a really good one. Right? Put that on the wall. Working it out is brought to you in part by GameTime.co. That's not GameTime.com. I don't know. That's a whole other thing. GameTime.co is a a site where you can get the best tickets for events, sports events, concerts. This is a thing that I'm obsessed with. I don't know about you, but I'm very experience-based, especially if I'm bringing my family. I just want to make sure that the seats are good and I can see everything and I just think this is a great site. It's an amazing interface, last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, views from all seats in the venue, lowest price guaranteed event, cancellation protection, job loss protection. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code WIO. That's for working it out. That's WIO. For 20 bucks off your first purchase, terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code WIO for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Helix Mattresses. Helix is uh, our original sponsor. I want to say they were our first or second sponsor ever in the Working It Out history three years ago. Uh... It's an awesome company. They make phenomenal mattresses. The new one that we're, we, I wanted to tell you about is called the Helix Elite. They've harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers an elevated sleep experience. The Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness, preferences, Every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Working it out listeners, uh, get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. For our working out listeners, go to helixsleep.com/perbigs, promo code helixpartner. This is their best offer yet and it will not last long with Helix Better Sleep starts now. Okay, so this is, this is a section called From the Notebook. And okay. this is just sort of new, new things that I've written down and jotted down. Right. One thing is I don't spend a lot of time on my appearance because I feel like that, that game is over and I've lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not gonna suddenly win by wearing a nice outfit at the post-game dinner. This is true, completely true. I didn't know you could buy clothing that fits your body until like last year. <laughs> <laughs> like and and now I'm obsessed with it. I love clothing that fits your body cuz it changes the narrative. It's no longer, um, Mike, um, y- your your body doesn't fit into those pants. It's like, Mike, your ass is so perfect, a tailor sculpted pantaloons
0: to drape over <laughs> it
1: like a silk tarp.
0: I love that. And you can ad- I mean, the two things that it sends me to, uh, does this age change? Oh, that's interesting. You know, like the the age where you, uh, you know, where you decide you're done with the fashion game. Right. Because like, now it's 43, 44 years old. Yeah. Did it used to be like 26? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where guys like, I'm 26 and I don't give a fuck what I wear yeah, anymore. You're right. You're right. That that That's worth exploring
1: is this idea of like, of like when I was in my twenties, I really, genuinely didn't care at all because yeah. I think in your twenties, I think your genes generally give you a lot yeah, more. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you you have a lot going for yeah. you. That's for free.
0: Yeah, (laughs) then your forties, forties things start to fall away, and you're like, "Uh, maybe I need a hat. (laughs) (laughs) But also, as your friend, I think the place that I go to when, like, if I see a 43 year old man or a 44 year old man suddenly come to me in fitted clothes, I know my first thought is. How's the marriage? <laughs> oh,
1: no, I think that's absolutely true. Right? It's,
0: it's, so you think you've just found fashion, <laughs> but you are putting out unhappiness yeah, in yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I doing? What's going on? What's you're this? just worrying everybody around yes, you. So that, I like this.
1: I like where you're going with this because this is what, <laughs> when I work with Ira Glass on Stories for This American Life, he's always like, okay, what's the story and what's the story under the story? Yeah. And that's, I love that you're saying that. It's like, what is, is that a deeper unhappiness? Is it a, deep, <laughs> is it a deeper in, insecurity? Is yeah. like, what is, What's under that? That's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, do you have anything that you're working on that's sort of half, half uh, uh, I, done? Or
0: It's kind of what I was talking about as well, where I, I was like, I think if you put, like I, I'd written this down, but I'm like, young people in America are very excited about telling their story and speaking their truth. And it's because you're given choice early and tools later. But I feel like Indian kids are given tools first and choice later.
1: So like, if
0: you put an American 20-year-old and an Indian 20-year-old in the same room, the American 20-year-old would be like, I'm a uh, pansexual vegan juggler. Yeah. But the Indian kid would just be like, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Like, I've been studying for 26 years and I'm 20. You know, Right. and now is when I get choice. So we arrive at choice much later in our lives. Oh,
1: that's interesting.
0: And perhaps just as as you guys start speaking your truth is when we start getting comfortable telling lies. <laughs> you know? Right. So, so I think it's a reverse kind of a childhood thing. So that's just what I'm thinking about. I now. wonder like in, in India, because certainly like in America, like so many things
1: right now are identity-based. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, I'm pansexual, I'm this, I'm this.
0: Is in India, do people, is that part of the dialogue? I think it is, but but I think- I mean, we work our kids really, really, really hard. Is that right? So I think college represents freedom for kids here. Yeah. And I think the years right after college represent freedom for kids in in India. So you find a lot of young kids just joining the workforce who are exhausted because they've been studying so hard for 21 years. And then they join the workforce and go nuts in their first, first two years, which you get out of the way in your first two years of college yeah but Indian college is very hard Well yeah, maybe I
1: mean this is a, this is a loose tag but it's yeah. like you know I'm a pansexual this 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 the, the thing yeah. the American kid says this the American kid says to the Indian kid like what are you yeah and, um, and the Indian kid says what are the options <laughs> what's A <laughs> what's yeah. B what's yeah. C what's D nice. I will get this right <laughs> The last thing we do on the show is called Working It Out for a Cause. And basically, if you have a nonprofit that you think does a good job, we contribute to it. We link to it in the show notes. I can look it up online right now.
0: All right. Uh, I would say uh, there is a charity called Voice of Stray Dogs. So they just do really, really good work with feeding street dogs and getting them sterilized and uh, sending them medication, et cetera. Oh, this looks fantastic. One of the largest no-kill
1: dog sanctuary and hospitals uh, with uh, 8,000-plus life-critical resources and hundreds of resident dogs uh, in Bangalore, India. Yep. But we look for dogs all across the country. That's fantastic. Well, I'll contribute to them. Thank you. And we'll link to them in the show notes. And, Veer, this is thrilling. Well, we're going to have you back. I'm going to see you at the Comedy Cellar. done, man. Hopefully, it's the beginning of a long friendship.
0: (laughs) Working it out because it's not done. We're working
1: it out, because there's no... Virdas' new special is called Landing. It's on Netflix now. You can follow him on Instagram, at Virdas, V-I-R-D-A-S. I am at the Mesa Art Center uh, and uh, in Salt Lake City at the Kingsbury Hall in Utah, March 17th. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producer Gary Simons and Lucy Jones, sound mix by Ben Cruz, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Mike Consiglieres, Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Special thanks to Jay hope Stein. Her book, Little Astronaut, is in your local bookstore. You can follow her on Instagram at jhopestein. Special thanks, as always, to our daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, even tell your enemies, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, of course, you, you'll maybe you'll give your Valentine something, but maybe you'll send a Valentine to someone who you don't like. <laughs> and it'll be, It'll be a valentine. They'll go, wow, I'm so surprised that Hank sent me a valentine. And you'll open it up and it'll say, you know, I think you'd really enjoy this podcast. Mike Priglia is working it out. It's very romantic. Thanks, everybody. We'll, We'll see you next time. We're working it out.